If you owned a video game, one that you could play with your friends whenever you wanted, why would you watch someone else do it and pay for the privilege? Over the last 10 years, high-speed internet has made it possible to watch somebody playing any sort of game anywhere in the world. But it's not just for fun. On sites like YouTube and Twitch, streamers have been able to make a living, some a fortune, which they've shared with charities from playing games. Welcome to episode 3 of Gaming for Good. I'm Will Bond, podcaster, gamer, and occasional Jedi. In the series so far, we've talked to well-established charities about how they can benefit financially from connecting with the worldwide gaming community. Child's Play was our first big story. Overall, Child's Play is getting close to the $50 million mark raised in 16 years. People look at that and then they ask us, how do we do that? We just turned it over to the, to the community and they started this for us. We've heard from legendary bastions of charity streaming Desert Bus for Hope about spicing up old ideas with new technology. And this is what we tell local media, like when the newspaper comes and we go, oh, it's an internet fundraising video game marathon where we play this video game called Desert Bus on the Sega CD and they just sort of glaze over. They have absolutely no frame of reference. What we say is, it's a telethon. And they go, oh! We heard about Warchild's innovative work with game developers, which brings them revenue via downloadable content and streamers. But also, and just as importantly, about how their work is focused on raising awareness of the Warchild cause. How many different types of media are going to get people to really concentrate on something, really grab people's attention for such an extended period of time? Gaming can be quite a personal experience and you've got this audience that's very much captivated. If those players can feel like they have some form of empathy for children in conflict zones, great, fantastic, and I think that adds real strength to it. By the time we got to episode two, the world had changed. While COVID-19 was causing the cancellation of real-world events, lockdown sent billions of people online. Communities have been fundraising for the COVID-19 response fund powered by the United Nations Foundation. Feeding America has seen a good amount of uptick and everybody wants to do something for somebody. It's phenomenal. The community is really, really activating. We spoke to Twitch and Tiltify, who are working to make the digital transformation in fundraising as easy as possible. Twitch is the biggest player in the live streaming world. And Tiltify is like a souped up charity campaign tool designed specifically for the pace and immediacy of the live streaming world. It used to be, okay, I'm doing a, a run walk, I'm gonna raise for a couple months. Whereas this is like this new acute fundraising where people are saying, all right, I'm gonna go do this today and I'm gonna raise you know, thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions today and just go out and do it. And it's amazing to watch. In this episode, you're going to be hearing from three organizations about how they got started with their Gaming for Good programs. If you're working in a charity or nonprofit and have a seed of an idea to get into gaming, our guests are going to have some really useful stories to share with you. The Norwegian Refugee Council are so early on in their work, we're going to be hearing what it's like to be the lone voice in an organization with a new idea, and what they are doing to grow that seed into a fully-fledged project. Women Win are a little further down the line, but still in the early days. For them, the work is about closely matching their existing strategy to one that brings in gaming to support their learning and development work in the field. 
Our final guest isn't new to the world of gaming for good. In fact, you've probably heard of them. They were recently featured at the Emmys. They are no kid hungry. They're successful now, but when they started their gaming work, they had some hiccups, and they're going to share the insight from some of those failures. Whether you are part of an innovation team, a fundraiser, a senior manager, or on the board, this episode is going to give you insight and understanding into the world of gaming for good, from people living and breathing it. If you're new to all of this and are still rattling your brain about what a Tiltify is or why you would make someone twitch, be sure to check out our last two episodes of Gaming for Good, also on salesforce.org. We'll be here when you come back. Are they gone? Okay, cool. Hi, everyone else. As we look at our guests in this episode, it's always helpful to see those at different stages of developing a Gaming for Good program. How and where to begin, for instance, is probably the first question you could ask. I hope. The Norwegian Refugee Council is a humanitarian organization working in some of the most troubled places in the world, helping displaced people with protection and shelter. Stian Abrahamsen is head of their global campaign unit, and along with his colleague Simon Raghaugen, is trying to get their Gaming for Good project off the ground. It's a key moment in the project, with Stian and Simon still building the case for using gaming, and like any charity or non-profit, the NRC is very careful about how it spends its money. To be able to do new things, we need to show results. And to best get positive results and results that we can learn from is to think low complexity when we do something for the first time. So that's something we focus on, and that's a strategic choice from our side. To look for those low complexity events, campaigns, so that when and if we decide to go uh, more full on with something, then we have a bit of experience and we know what we're doing, so to speak, and not just going blindly into something new. And I think in terms of gaming, that is crucial because um, I don't think there is a lot of connection between the humanitarian world and gaming. And therefore, it's a lot of things that needs to be figured out to make it feel smoother and, and run more smooth. Until very recently, implementing gaming into the organization had only been a twinkle in Stian's eye. But an opportunity arose after a certain virus changed all of our lives. With the COVID-19 situation, we got the opportunity to join Gamers Without Borders, which was a first for us. And it was good results for us as an organization. We didn't have to put too much into it. It was done by others. So we were just part of the ride and could learn a lot. So it was an easy first step, uh, so to speak, to be able to join someone else's campaign, so to speak, and not, not create our own, and therefore just see what this industry, this arena had to offer an organization like us. And I think that was something that the management also saw, that the low complexity, how easy it was to kind of be part of it, and then also learn, and then take that with us if we want to continue with gaming and continue to find new ways to reach out to people with uh, our message. Gaming Without Borders tagline watch game learn donate created a 10 million dollar prize fund to aid charities on the front line fighting the spread of coronavirus elite gamers competed over seven weeks and viewers watched their live streams some donating money to their favorite causes nrc benefited financially and learned a lot from the experience but it also raised issues for them issues we've heard about before from previous guests in the series 
we see gaming as a good opportunity and that we are aware of the, the risks and the ethical dilemmas in terms of, of violence in games. But that being said, we also see that uh, the research on these topics are, are inconclusive. We have done some mapping in terms of what sort of things can, can come from violent games and, and there is no clear answer there yet. I also think it's too easy to just not take that discussion and not see the opportunities that are there. And looking at how the world is now uh, with the, the COVID-19 situation, we are being more digital, meeting each other, being social in these arenas, these esports arenas and, and gaming arenas is going to be part of the future. It's already a part of what we're doing now, but it's going to take a much bigger part of how we socialize with people. So if we are not ready to take that jump and, and go into those arenas, I think it will be more tricky to reach out and get that key message across about helping displaced populations and showcasing what's going on. Also, uh, being able to talk to that audience, not asking for money and not asking for specific things, but just to be able to inform and, and get them aware of what's going on is something I see as very valuable. So Stian's mission is not simply fundraising. Equally important to him is using games to promote their message and creatively support an audience in understanding what the charity does. You don't need a passport to travel to a virtual world, but as any gamer will testify, the experience of being there can be just as vivid. Sheltercrafts, launching at the end of 2020, is a rather wonderful example of this. At the moment, we are at a position where we want to challenge streamers within Minecraft to, to build shelters for displaced populations, but in Minecraft. And we want to do that through the specs that we, we use in the field so that they actually can learn by watching how, how does it look when, when we build shelters in the field. And also to highlight issues like quarantine centers and uh, isolation areas in the situation of uh, COVID-19. And it's also cool and an uh, interesting way, I believe, to let people know what's going on and how, how we do that sort of work. We are, we are still trying to find good ways of, of coming out with that campaign and, and, and reaching a, a big audience. The idea is pretty simple. Gamers stream their shelter construction on the block building game Minecraft, and viewers donate as they watch. So how do you build on this idea, if you'll pardon the pun? We are cooperating with Buena, uh, advertising agency from the US, who is helping us quite a lot and, and guiding us and going to help with the mobilization around this. Having an uh, external agency helping us out here is, has been very crucial and is crucial because they have expertise that we don't necessarily have ourselves in terms of uh, PR. They have a different network than what we have that can be useful uh, when moving into a new arena like gaming. And also the fact that they, they are challenging the way that we think. And I th believe that humanitarians have a tendency to kind of become trapped in a box that is very humanitarian and not necessarily be able to see all the different solutions that are there and having that agency or Buena be there and kind of help us figure out the solutions and push us to kind of think outside the box is crucial. New ideas do need buy-in from others, however. The more left-field the idea, the harder it might be to sell. And convincing people to commit to those ideas can be a bit daunting, lonely even. You can put in the overtime, working around an already busy schedule, and keep testing, knowing that, however good you think it is, your idea may never take off. But if you're right...
We have called it leap of faith, but I don't believe that's what it is because it's it's very calculated and we try to get as much information as possible. We need to make sure that what we are doing to get more people involved, to get more funds and to get more awareness is as good as it can be before we really dive into it. So uh, with gaming, it's challenging and we're not still to this day, we're not sure if we're going to launch this campaign. I'm still quite optimistic and positive about it. And that optimism is shared by Stian's manager, NRC's Director of External Communication, Harriet Rudd. I remember the first time Stian brought this to me. I thought that it was a really good and exciting idea because I think that for any organization that works with an important but also very difficult topic, it's very important to continually look for new opportunities to reach new audiences. And then I thought that it was important for us also to do some research to make sure that everybody in the organization was comfortable moving into this sphere. The sphere she's talking about, of course, is the world of gaming. Research and understanding is an integral part of gauging whether or not your brand or indeed mission suits having gamers as part of your donation and community base. Can a certain community represent your company well? Could it maybe harm your image? Are there mutual benefits? It's all part of the decision-making process. It's just making sure also that we are comfortable with the dialogue, that we're a good fit. And that also, I mean, it, one thing is, is for sort of for gaming to be a good fit with, with Norwegian Refugee Council, but also for the organization to be a good fit with gaming. That we sort of find that good space where it, it's a win-win and where we sort of talk well together, where we find a way of engaging both the gaming community, but perhaps also a wider community together. Our goal is always that as much money as possible goes directly to people that are displaced. I mean, we do life-saving work. We really have to make sure that when we put a dollar towards earning money, that we are actually earning money. The NRC are cautiously exploring this potentially lucrative world of people who, let's face it, are still a niche in the bigger picture of charity donation drives. A great future awaits, but for them, it's still early in the game. Speaking of early stages, our next charity of note is Women Win, which my good friend and co-presenter Shay Thompson, who works with McLaren, BAFTA, Xbox, and also founded Level Up Link Up, has been investigating. Thanks, Will. Women Win is an organisation that seeks to empower women and girls across the globe through the use of sport and play. Since 2007, their grassroots work has positively impacted the lives of over 2 million young women from 100 countries and counting. So how exactly does gaming fit into their work? Like Stian and the Norwegian Refugee Council, it's still early days for them. Fundraising is a part of the strategy, but their main focus is using gaming for good as a tool to deliver services they already offer, be it education, workshops or learning experiences in the field. I caught up with Nicole Matsuka, a senior program manager at Women Win. I wouldn't say I have a really deep background in gaming, apart from, yeah, as a kid, um, spending hours playing Nintendo and your standard games. I grew up, you know, what, in the 90s, late 80s. You know, remember playing Mario Brothers. I mean, I loved being outside, too. That was, uh, you know, another part of my childhood growing up was love being outside. Uh, we grew up by the water and just, you know, did all water sports, did every sport at school, was kind of one of those kids. But I think that real competitive nature in me um, then really lent itself well to playing video games as well. 
One facet of the work Women Win does helps address gender-based violence in communities around the world. They support young women by helping them access and better understand their sexual and reproductive health. Up until recently, that was boots-on-the-ground work that relied heavily on having access to physical spaces. But as we all know, things have changed drastically, which has made this difficult. However, COVID isn't the only reason Women Win are looking to diversify the ways they reach and support women. They've realised that access to technology and increased connectivity means more young people are inhabiting digital spaces, which means they can reach and help even more women than before. We've been sort of watching, you know, the trends and the growth of esport and gaming in general in different parts of the world. And, you know, as access to Internet expands and technology becomes less expensive, we've definitely seen places where our partners are working, which are often not in big urban centers and usually historically didn't have great access. They're starting to get better access and um, to technology and, and connectivity. You know, young people are spending more and more time online as they get access to cheaper cell phones and data and and whatever. So now there's all these platforms and these lives that people have online through social media and other kind of ways of socially connecting with each other that I think is very much mirroring their like physical world around them. And so how do we meet those young people who are working with on the football pitch, right? How do we also work with them in these digital spaces that they're living in? You know, if Women Win's helping them navigate the physical spaces in their communities and lives, shouldn't we be helping them navigate those digital spaces too? It's a part of their life. And then again, what methodology do we use? Well, gaming, it's a form of play that it's just a natural transition for us. So I think that's kind of how we got to the point where we're at now is, you know, this is real, this is important, whether we like it or not, that kids are spending so much time online. Let's meet them where they're at and let's use the methodology that we know best from a high level, which is gaming, fun, play, um, and let's figure out how to do that. It's something that so many companies are having to get their heads around. Digital transformation, or as Nicole nicely put it, meeting people where they are. And that increasingly is online. The way it started was really just small conversations between a couple people in the organization, some people reading interesting articles online and sharing them, these kind of little bits that would come out here and there. And then, you know, a couple of us really started thinking, huh, this is kind of moving forward. This is an interesting idea. Maybe we'd talk to some people external to our organization who also kind of felt the same way. And then it kind of got to the point where it's like, okay, let's present something to just a couple people within the organization who haven't been part of these conversations and see what they say, what they think. Our process here has really gone into like fits and starts in terms of getting the organization as a whole on board with this idea and presenting it to our board and getting our leadership team behind it, most importantly. It's always a nervous moment sharing ideas beyond your core team, especially since a lot of people seem to think that video games and physical sports are opposite to each other. Nicole needed to demonstrate that gaming can teach people various skills and actually helps bring people together, which is even more important in the context of the ongoing pandemic. The knee-jerk reaction when you're talking to kind of a sports organization, oh, video games, like that is the absolute antithesis of, you know, being outside in the sun kicking around a ball or something like, where is this connection? But I think the more we started talking about it and the more we, you know, kind of looked at where the industry was going, where the trends were going, the the amazing potential and possibilities and opportunities that we had in the gaming sector from, you know, both programmatic and, and influence resource mobilization perspectives that we, you know, we thought 
this is innovation. This is where things are moving, and and let's let's just try to figure out to make sure that this aligns with our mission and vision, you know. And that's kind of what we did next. So then it was you know discussions with our leadership team, presentations to our board, and really framing it around a girls' rights and women's rights perspective. I think was was important. Really seeing how that um, aligned with that. What really helped us, which is fortunate or unfortunate, is the the COVID pandemic. It kind of accelerated people's understanding of the importance of digital spaces, I think. And that really helped put people in the mindset of like, oh, wow, digital spaces are actually very important and useful. And look how they're being used during this pandemic. And, you know, we cannot be left behind. We need to figure out how we take our programming and our approach and move that in a digital way. Not as a replacement by any means to what we do traditionally, but as a supplement um, or some way to support what we do in the future. I wouldn't say there was a huge amount of resistance. It was more people asking us to kind of make the case. How does this align with what we do? If you can show us that, if you can show us the importance of this and why we need to get into this space, we're all for it. Kudos to people on our team for really taking this idea, this concept of gaming and esports and you know diving down and saying okay how can we specifically empower girls build transferable life skills through play and gaming how do we address women's rights issues and girls rights issues which is at the core of all of our work how do we develop leadership of adolescent girls and make sure they're at the forefront and their voices is, is the one that's heard and and they're leading on this and if we could kind of satisfy all of those pieces that are really non-negotiables for women win in terms of our programs and approaches then i think it's you know the organization really gave us the green light to to move forward with this once the team had got used to the idea of gaming another piece of the puzzle fitted into place and i think too just showing the the possibilities for raising resources and mobilizing resources and bringing funding in I think that was a big one too is you know this isn't just a programmatic piece of work that we could plug into our larger programs but this really could mobilize some resources and and help us move our influence strategy forward as an organization and our advocacy strategy. Nicole knows better than anyone how much of a challenge it can be to enter the world of gaming as an outsider. Naturally there have been some challenges and if you're finding yourself in a similar situation Nicole has some advice for you. Start talking to as many people as you can, and and finding people who who get it right away. I think it's really discouraging when you talk to a bunch of people in the beginning, and everyone's like, "What are you talking about? This, you know, esports? That's this, this is a horrible idea." You can get pretty discouraged as an individual or even an organization. But I think if you find some really quick wins early on, and and people who get it and are excited and kind of moving forward with you, that really helps to keep you motivated to kind of keep exploring. But it's really it's a journey, right? So it to realize that you're on a journey of exploration and that it's not you're not going to find the right answer right away from day one. When we first started talking about it as an organization, it, it was really unclear how this fit in. And it, you know, and that in and of itself, you know, is sometimes discouraging because you think, oh, you know, is this just one of those things that we think would be a cool idea but it doesn't really make sense for our organization? Why should we even put any more effort to, to figure out how it would and that can feel really discouraging and and just hard. I mean, it took us a while. I would it did not happen overnight. It took us almost a year to really figure out how this fit into what we do and for it to make sense. My advice is if you if you don't know exactly at the beginning how this will work and how it fits into your organization, but you you know something is there and you you can feel something there, then I think just keep at it and just be patient and sometimes it happens organically 
the more conversations you have, the more research you do, the more people you talk to, that opportunity and you know that light will go off. So just stick with it. <laughs> you've been talking to someone who has done exactly that right an organization whose success in gaming came in fits and starts but they persevered and that hard work has paid off that's right and thanks shay for that brilliant insight from nicole you might have heard of our final organization whose mission is to end childhood hunger in america carla warner is head of the revenue innovation team at no kid hungry Her high point was when they took a group of streamers into a classroom at Bret Hart Elementary School in San Francisco one morning. Breakfast in the classroom is one of the most important things that we advocate for as an organization because many kids who take advantage of school lunch do not take advantage of of breakfast for a number of reasons that are barriers that keep them from doing that. For some kids, it's because their parents can't get them to the cafeteria early enough because a lot of schools serve this breakfast in the cafeteria before school. Another reason is for the older kids, they don't want to eat breakfast in the cafeteria because if their peers see them in there, there's a stigma and they don't want to be seen as the poor kids. And so we do a lot of advocacy work and pushing to get breakfast in the classroom for all kids so that everybody eats together. A child never needs to know that they are different or that their family can't provide food because they're doing what all the other kids are doing. And in doing so, we can ensure that all these kids get food. And I've always known that this was an important part of our work. This is why it was critical for us to get our streamers there, but also for myself as a reminder that we started the visit in a, in a conference room with Principal Jeremy Helinski, who is a big advocate for our work and, and breakfast in the classroom. And he talked about what a difference it made for his students and his teachers to have that breakfast in the classroom. You know, he said that when he originally talked about doing it, there was a lot of pushback from staff, but like any great leader, he brought them along and he convinced them to do it. You know, people were worried about the mess that it was going to make and, and about how it would distract kids and whatnot. But what they ultimately learned is that they had so many hungry kids going to the nurse's office because they were hungry and their tummy hurts hurt and that were distracted and couldn't focus that when they started doing breakfast in the classroom, the kids were, were happier, they were more engaged, they were fed. And it was helping them learn better, you know, something that we are constantly trying to explain to people that kids who don't eat can't learn. The absolute best part was to go into the classroom, to take our streamers into the classroom and sit down with these absolutely adorable elementary school kids and to watch them eat and laugh and have fun and to know that there are kids in that room who absolutely needed that breakfast and that we were playing a role in making that possible. After hearing from two organizations that are in the really early stages of their Gaming for Good projects, we wanted to end with one that's had a lot of experience. Even outside of gaming, No Kid Hungry have led the way in innovation when it comes to fundraisers, with famous actors like Jeff Bridges and Viola Davis giving their names to the charity. In the Gaming for Good world, we've seen famous names like Dead Mouse and Jeremiah Freights of the Lumineers. From games like PUBG to the tabletop staples of Dungeons & Dragons, No Kid Hungry has seen such exposure via the medium of streaming sites like Twitch, who we had an extensive look at back in episode 2. But all of this obviously didn't come out of thin air. 
One of the founders had a keen eye for new ideas. Our co-founder Debbie Shore, who has a great passion for innovation, decided that we, as an organization, if we wanted to continue to grow and adapt to current times, needed to really dedicate capacity to innovation. And as a result of that, she launched a revenue innovation team with the idea that we needed a team that was specifically dedicated to coming up with new ways that we could raise funds for the kids that we serve. And when I say new ways, it could be anything. From really building upon existing platforms that we have within the organization, or it was something completely brand new, right? Something that we've never done before. In order to really test and pilot and experience new things as an organization, we needed one a desire for risk, right, or a comfort level with risk to say, okay, you know what? We're going to empower a team to try things that might fail, and we're okay with that. For me, on a personal level, I want everything to be a million-dollar idea. You know, I want to show value in my role by being able to you know, launch something pretty amazing that will very quickly earn the funds to help us serve kids.、Um, but a lot of these ideas take a lot of time, you know, and that can be disappointing for me as an individual because I want to do so much for this organization that I love and care about. But again, I'm very lucky that I've I've been able to go back and have honest conversations with my exec team and say, listen, I thought that this was going to work. And here's where it went wrong. As long as I can come to them and say I understand what happened, and here's a solution, they're very, very supportive, and I'm so grateful for that. And actually, Carla's gaming for good program didn't start with a bang. We share this internally as our first failure, <laughs> and we share it proudly to say, "Listen, we launched our first event, and we thought we we had a great idea, and it didn't take off the way that we wanted it to, but we learned so much from it." When summer comes, we refer to it as the hungriest time of year because all of those school meals that the families depend on go away. And so we wanted to create a gaming-specific campaign that was called "Play to Save Summer." And the original idea was to do something a little cheeky, where we got a bunch of moms together who weren't gamers to play Fortnite and help raise funds for kids. And we hired a really brilliant consulting firm that was going to help us recruit people to participate in this event. They went out to their list and got some pretty influential individuals to sign up to do it. The problem was that none of them were streamers. The legwork involved in getting those non-streamers to. Create a Twitch campaign to to get onto Tiltify to get their streaming software to learn how to connect all of those things together was a very very heavy lift. So what essentially happened was we had all of these great enthusiastic people giving this their first try on Twitch and playing, and some of them playing with their kids, which was really cool, but didn't have anybody watching them. We, you know, for lack of a better term, we failed, and but we were okay with that because we learned that really what the true opportunity was within this community were the, those who were already doing it. That we needed to meet people where they were. As we've heard many times before, there is no silver bullet to do gaming for good in an authentic way. You can't outsource the hard work. And when we realized that. Our entire strategy changed. It, you know, it had much more narrow focus, and then that's when we knew we have to. It's even more important than ever that we get out to PAX and TwitchCon and get into the community and get on Discord and get into people's streams and talk to them on Twitter to really connect with them directly. 
So it was essentially me, one by one, trying to meet people, building these relationships. And it was amazing, but that's a very slow build, right? Like that takes a lot of time. And I think, candidly, we were wooed by the numbers we were seeing that St. Jude and Extra Life were bringing in as these brilliant programs that had been around a lot longer than we had. So the goals that we had set, I think were probably not as reasonable. And in talking to a lot of people in the industry, they were like, oh yeah, Carla, you know what? It's going to be a long time before you reach that mark. But that's when, again, I knew that I needed our live stream community manager because I couldn't do this work alone. And shortly after Play to Save Summer, we also hired a consultant who was a streamer who worked with us for about six months and did a really nice job introducing us to some of the key players, which was also really important because if you get some key players involved and then they're talking to people, then that's how it ripples and builds. With their community engagement underway, the gaming arm of No Kid Hungry got oodles of support from both Twitch and Tiltify, which would take them even further on their journey to Game for Good. If you want to know more about those sites, we spoke to prominent figures from both, including the CEO and co-founder of Tiltify, Michael Wasserman, in episode two. But with No Kid Hungry, dealing with the current state of affairs, you know the one I mean, they still found a helping hand. What's been amazing, again, with our current situation in the state of the world is we've really had some organic opportunities that have popped up. Twitch and Tiltify both were very supportive of those of us who had the COVID-19 campaigns and did a lot of incredibly helpful work in getting the word out through posts on their website and blog posts and whatnot. And so we were very fortunate that because of them and their wide reach within the community, they let a lot of people know that, you know, hey, if you're interested in giving back, here are the charities that have COVID-19 campaigns. And we've had also the amazing good luck that a lot of celebrities have been talking about us. You know, Trevor Noah was talking about us. Usher gave us a big shout out. You know, on live TV, we've had um, Angelina Jolie gave us a very large gift. One of the more exciting ones for me to be on as, you know, with the expectation of what we normally see for stream fundraising. And within the first 30 minutes, I, I want to say that they had already reached their goal. Um, so that was, you know, and it was a late night one too. My family has been very gracious as I have been watching streams at all hours of the day. But that was one that I watched in the dark with my laptop open and you know, squealed with delight through the entire thing. It was pretty amazing. This community is very powerful, right? These creators, they have incredible influence, many of them, but also regardless of influence size, they have such compassion. A lot of these people spend a lot of their times on screens and, you know, in ways that now we're all starting to understand now that we're all sort of trapped at home. And so when you look, across the spectrum to see the difference that this community is making, there's absolutely an argument there to put time and capacity behind that as an organization. I think there needs to be an appetite for learning and failure, right? Because even across the board, when I speak to other peers who are in my position, right, um, who do this work, everyone's like, wow, you know, there's no silver bullet. But I also think there's be because in, in the in the spirit of community, many of us who are in this space on the nonprofit side are kind of banding together and, and being thought leaders and sharing with each other. I always offer my time. Um, you know, I'm always happy to connect with someone at whatever stage they're in. Um, I think we can help each other be better in this space. But you know, the most important thing is this community is powerful and they care and they can make a difference. No Kid Hungry has seen its expansion into gaming succeed in unprecedented ways. 
with celebrity endorsements and the blessings of the two biggest tools in the business. There are streams upon streams in Twitch's backlog of people advocating for them. This could very much be the case for groups like the NRC and Women Win, and their potential is only as strong as the willingness of people who could invest in their growth. Each story began with one person having the idea of using a medium that has seen such positive and mutually beneficial results. Gaming for Good has seen its popularity surge in the past decade or so, taking multiple forms from streaming to adding bonuses to existing games to celebrities playing board games. This could easily be your story. If your organization has a niche, use it. It could very well be the next big innovation. I'd like to end this episode with one more thing. A word from Will Coleman, creative lead at salesforce.org. Thanks, Will. I just wanted to thank you, our listeners, for taking the time to check out our Gaming for Good series. We need more people like you, those that are willing to be bold in the face of very difficult times. We really appreciate the community of trailblazers finding new ways to drive impact in the world. Finally, I would like to give my deepest thanks to all the guests that have featured in our series and the amazing, talented production team. Thank you. For more on the world of gaming for good, please check out our last two episodes available on salesforce.org slash events slash gaming hyphen for hyphen good. Episode one is really good if you're just starting out, and episode two features guests from two of the biggest streaming companies out there, Twitch and Tiltify. It's full of tips and advice for getting your Gaming for Good program going. And you can also hear how gaming and play are transforming the world of education in our bonus episode, Learning Through Play. This has been Gaming for Good with me, Will Bond, and my co-host, Shay Thompson. For more information about Gaming for Good and to hear from inspiring fundraising trailblazers, visit sfdc.co slash fundraising guide. This documentary has been brought to you by Salesforce.org. It's a Sounds Fancy and Fieldwork production. It's been written and presented by me, Will Bond, and Shay Thompson, with research and additional writing by Curtis James, Simon James, and Chris Paling. Production support by Jim Stevenson, music by Neil Hale and Simon James, editing, production, and mixing by Simon James. Mm-hmm.